Welcome to the weekend edition of the Daily Stoic. Each weekday, we bring you a meditation inspired by the ancient Stoics, something to help you live up to those four Stoic virtues of courage, justice, temperance, and wisdom. And then here on the weekend, we take a deeper dive into those same topics. We interview Stoic philosophers. We explore at length how these Stoic ideas can be applied to our actual lives and the challenging issues of our time. Here on the weekend, when you have a little bit more space, when things have slowed down, be sure to take some time to think, to go for a walk, to sit with your journal, and most importantly, to prepare for what the week ahead may bring. Dell Tech Fest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technologies is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. For a limited time, only save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology and free shipping on everything. That's dell.com slash deals. Every business is constantly asking themselves, what's a thing I can do to take my business to the next level? It's something I'm thinking about, of course, over at Daily Stoic and Daily Dad and the Painted Porch. And one of the tools I use for just that is LinkedIn Jobs, because LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. You might have just listened to the episode I put up where I was given a talk at LinkedIn back in 2017. So I've been using LinkedIn a long time because LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. And hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. It's so easy. In fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. We've hired multiple people here at Daily Stoic from LinkedIn. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash stoic. That's linkedin.com slash stoic to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Holiday. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Stoke Podcast. I just wanted to thank everyone for supporting the new book, Courage is Calling. It's meant so much to me. The book is off to an amazing start. Uh, if you haven't read it yet, please do check it out. We've still got some of the bonuses up available on dailystoic.com slash pre-order. Um, the book debuted on the bestseller list, which is awesome, and uh, I so, so appreciate it. And so when I sat down to talk with today's guest, it brought me way, way, way back because I remember way in the depths of the American apparel collapse, I had just begun researching and starting to write Ego is the Enemy, and I hopped on a quick flight out to Fort Bragg where they put us through a bunch of cool paces. Um, we got to drive in a Humvee simulator. I got to stand on top shooting a 50 caliber machine gun as if I was in Iraq or Afghanistan. We did some simulated uh, parachute jumps out of one of the jump towers. Uh, got to see a whole bunch of awesome, cool soldiers. It was part of an event for this uh, great organization called American Dream U that helps uh, veterans who are transitioning out of the military back into civilian life. I was a speaker. I was talking about some of the ideas in the obstacles way. Also, the transition that I had gone through dropping out of college. And one of the other speakers was someone I'd known for a long time. I was a big fan of his websites and uh, some of his apparel. Uh, and his name is Nick Palmashano, and he's the creator of Ranger Up, 
uh, this really cool lifestyle military brand, um, an entrepreneur, uh, formerly of West Point, as he'll talk about in today's episode. Then he got an MBA from Duke. He also has a full service marketing agency called Diesel Jack Media. And he's the vice president and one of the founding board members of Save Our Allies, an effort that helped rescue more than 12,000 refugees in the final days of the evacuation out of Afghanistan. So when we talk about Stoics being sort of real participants in world events, Nick is a wonderful example of that. Uh, in today's episode, we nerd out about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. We nerd out about being entrepreneurs. And uh, we talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. It was a great interview. Crazy for me to think that it goes back all this time. Uh, as I mentioned, I tell the story briefly, but we had this very strange experience together where we went to an MMA fight and then MC Hammer was there. And uh, I don't know. I'll leave that to the episode. Uh, I will give you my wonderful interview with Nick Palmishano. And uh, you can follow him at, at Ranger underscore up on Twitter. He's Instagram, Nick Paul Michano. That's N-I-C-K-P-A-L-M-I-S-C-I-A-N-O. And you can, of course, go to rangerup.com. Uh, he sent us uh, a couple years ago a bunch of stuff that my kids love, a uh, bunch of hilarious T-shirts. And then they also make some really cool Memento Mori stuff. Uh, which you can check out as well. Uh, Ranger Up is great, and uh, it was good to talk to Nick, and I hope you like this interview. How have you been, man? I've been good, man. Yeah? Uh, it's, yeah, I've been kind of a wild ride lately, uh, but uh, but good. Well, I wanted to talk about that, but I thought we'd start off with something easier, because I think about this every time uh, I see something that you or your wife tweets. Um, <laughs> okay. I started training in jiu-jitsu maybe like 10 years ago now and i really really enjoyed it i did it uh very consistently for three four years and then i got i got out of it um when i moved to texas and then i never got quite back into it after i had kids then yeah. i was just starting about thinking and doing it again and then the pandemic happened and i uh, uh, a, a guy came uh, by the bookstore a few days ago who was a black belt and he has a jujitsu gym down the street. He was talking about kids' classes. So walk me through why I need to start training again and what I and my family will get out of it. Because this is something, obviously, you do a lot of and yeah. uh, I think has some philosophical lessons in it. Yeah, uh, there's a couple things that I love about just grappling in general. So, you know, I, I started in judo in 1987, became a pretty accomplished judoka uh, then started wrestling in high school, uh, you know, and then and went on to, to wrestle briefly at West Point and then uh, was on the Army judo team. And then jujitsu came in vogue, which is basically uh, the, the ground portion of judo, you know, taken to the infinite level. Um, and then, you know, MMA and I got involved with, you know, cornering Tim Kennedy. And, you know, it's, it's been a ride. I've been grappling for a long time. Yeah. What I, what I love about grappling and jujitsu in particular is that, um, you know, I have a, I live a very, uh, full life. I'm involved in a lot of things. Um, a lot of stress, a lot of things to think about when I'm on the mat. And when I have a 250 pound man trying to choke me unconscious or break my arm, I am not thinking about any of those things. I'm not thinking about 
you know, conversations to have with employees. I'm not thinking about payroll. I'm not thinking about a new business venture or a book to write or a movie to work on. I'm only thinking about, I need to get this 250 pound man off of me and then get on top and start, you know, doling out some punishment of my own. And so, um, far better than, you know, watching Netflix or, uh, you know, some other kind of mind numbing thing. Like you're using your body, um, and you, you go to this like zero state where, uh, it's primal. And so like, it's a great way to shut off for 90 minutes while simultaneously, you know, getting in better shape. The other thing that's great about it is no matter how good you get at it, there's always somebody better and there's always something else to learn. Perfect example is, you know, in most rooms, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that I'm like some dominant guy because I'm not. Uh, But in most rooms, I hold my own, regardless of who I'm I'm rolling with. Like, I'm not embarrassing. But then, you know, when I go and visit my my buddy, Tim Kennedy, for a week, and it's like Tim and three of his friends that are all world champions in jujitsu, it's as if I've never done the sport. It's as if I know nothing. Um, And there's something awesome about that, is that, you know, whereas you know, on a regular day, people are like, man, that guy, that guy is really tough. I can walk into a place where I'm the novice. And it's, it's a, it's humbling because it's literally kicking your ass. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of the great things. Um, I think it's, I think it's also healthy for, I think, especially men to get in there and get your ass kicked because, and, you know, and do a little asking kicking of your own because, um, you know, we kind of live in this world where everybody has this bubble of what they think they can do. Like men tend to assume that they're experts in fighting, like that they, there's some innate fighting gene that they have. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like I've, I've been fighting since 1987. And, and like when you go up against somebody that has never fought, it's like everything they do is slow motion. Everything they do, you anticipate. Um, not it's to embarrassing say, how how naturally bad you actually are at it. That's why. Oh yeah, super bad. Yeah, every every instinct that you have is the wrong instinct, and it it um, it burns out. Uh, you know your your energy, and and next thing you know, you're in a worse position, and uh, like you know it's it's not a natural thing. You have to learn it. You have to have discipline. You have to work at it just like everything else. You know, everything that you want to become expert in requires, you know, discipline on a, on a daily basis. So yeah, there's that Yogi Barrel line about baseball that it's impossible to think and hit at the same time. I feel like fighting is that's even more true because the mm-hmm. stakes, although yeah, getting hit with a fastball is, is not something you want to do, but the stakes are higher in fighting or at least more primal because you uh you're you're literally two people fighting for literal domination of each other yeah and and you absolutely degenerate to whatever you actually know um and what i mean by that is like there's a lot of fancy moves i can do against beginners um or fancy moves that i can do given time and i think that's true of most people that train but when you're actually tired and it's actually a, uh, you know, an intense moment where adrenaline's up and, and you, you have that, you know, fear 
if you will, of losing or of being injured or something, you know, even though I know, I don't know, I don't know how many, a hundred some odd, 200 moves or whatever, I kind of go to the same five or six things when push comes to shove, because those are the things I've done 10,000 times. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I think, um, and not to completely change subjects, but it's one of the reasons why whenever I watch, uh, situations where, whether it's like, uh, you know, police officers or military or firefighters and, and, and you watch them and you're like, you know, why did he make that decision? Or why did she make that decision? Like when you've actually trained, you realize that you're never as good as you want to be. Um, and you fall back on whatever it is that you've done the most because you go to lizard brain mode. Um, yeah, all haven't, of, haven't they done studies that like police officers who are trained in, in grappling are actually much less likely to use deadly force because they they have either the confidence or the acumen or just they've done the emotional regulation that yes. prevents them from escalating to the, the, the final option so quickly? Yes. And the same thing with military members is people that have have extensive uh, hand to hand training tend to pull the trigger uh, less quickly in environments that perhaps don't call for it. Because, again, like if you don't know how to fight, if you don't know how to, you know, pin someone to the ground and keep them from moving. Then everything is a life or death situation. But if somebody puts their hands on you and you, you can feel instantly they can't move you, like you don't have that same anxiety level. And so, um, you know, the more that you train in bad environments, and this, this goes for everything, whether it's, it's shooting or jujitsu or, you know, any of, any of the martial uh, skills, the more you train in bad environments, the more comfortable you are when it really matters. Right. So, so here's, here's my excuse for why I stopped doing it. And you can, you can call me out on my bullshit or maybe you can just give me, <laughs> give me a solution. Cause I, cause I really did enjoy it. So I I'm as an introvert and as a writer, I sort of need solitary time, sort of meditative experiences that allow me to think I'm sort of turning off my mind, but I'm also turning on my subconscious. Right. Mm -hmm. And so running or swimming or biking has always been that for me. So that I, I have to run every day for sort of professional, but also personal reasons. Like I'm just much less pleasant to be around if I haven't done those I, things. I get it. Yeah, I get it. And so, so I have to do that. So when I was, you know, when I was working on my first book and I sort of left my job, I had like so much time. I could be like, well, I'm going to run to jujitsu, then do jujitsu, or I'm going to do jujitsu and then maybe run in the afternoon. What I found, it was an increasingly harder sell to tell my wife that I needed, you know, two to two and a half hours of Ryan exercise time in the course of a day. Uh, so that's why I was thinking about the kid part of it, because then either we could do it together or it's sort of a, a family activity. That, that was what was getting me excited about the idea again. Yeah. So, I mean, it's great for kids. It's actually a phenomenal sport for kids. And I think it helps with all other sports, regardless of what they do down the road. So all, all of my children have participated in jujitsu how many uh, do you have and how old are they and when did they start? I have, I have six. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, my, my, my wife came with a couple, I had a couple and, uh, and, and we, uh, we, we had a couple together. So, uh, okay. to total of six. Um, the oldest is 20 
and uh, about to be 21, and the youngest is six. So, uh, yeah. And they all, they all did it? And, and what was that experience like? Like as they've, a, it, Yeah, they've all, they've all done jujitsu, and actually all of them that have, have been able also have wrestled. Um, it's, it's been very different. You know, um, my, my oldest is, um, like he did, he wasn't passionate about it. It was very like, okay, this is one of the things that I do. Um, and didn't, didn't really get hardcore into grappling until like his senior year of high school, he went, he went hard after wrestling and, 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 you know, did a, finished his season pretty well. And, uh, and then has continued to grapple on his own where, you know, he didn't, he, he wasn't heavily engaged in it, um, you know, for, you know, for most of his childhood, it was just a thing he did. Uh, my, my second oldest kind of the same thing. Like he, he, he enjoys it. It's fun, but it's not like, like with me grappling was like, you know, I, I lived, breathed, was willing to die for it. You know, yeah. when I, when I was that age, um, my daughter who is, uh, is 14, she's the hardest core. So, uh, in middle school, she, she finished kind of like second in middle school for the state boys and girls, uh, you know, for wrestling. And, uh, you know, she, she's gone to camp. She's upset. She missed a year for COVID. Um, she's already doing wrestling camp now gearing up for, you know, her first high school season. Um, my other daughter who is, uh, uh, 13, um, uh, is is more into jujitsu um they are completely different girls you know uh my my older daughter is like you know built like i am um you know just uh just you know short stocky um you know all all kind of like muscle and um my younger daughter is built like my wife, you know, long, lanky, you know, kind of like legs for days. And so because of that, you know, she's great at triangles. She catches, she catches triangles and she can move people with her legs. And, um, you know, so they just have like different, like the cool thing about grappling is like different people with different builds, abilities, strengths, weaknesses can find their own game. Um, and then, you know, my, uh, my 12 year old son and my six year old son are, uh, they're both very athletic, very aggressive. Um, and I think they're going to probably dominate the sport and be into it. Um, just based on what I've seen, you know, thus far, um, has it been for- cool as a family to have, like, I, what must be cool about it is like, it's not that something you would necessarily do together, but it is like a domain in which, you're all at different levels. Uh, like you're saying, like you yeah. could be bad. You're all studying the same thing. I guess that must be a cool family experience. Yeah, it, it is it, because everybody understands, you know, every single, no, nobody just starts off being good at grappling. So, you know, when, you know, when one of my kids doesn't get the result they want, like I've been there, like, you know, sure. they know, they know I've been there. Um, but it, the journey is, is, is really fun. And, and, you know, it, it's like all things, right? So, you know, uh, we, you and I have talked about this before, you know, people that focus on a result tend to never be happy. Um, people that enjoy the journey of kind of improving and getting better and investing time in things that they, they believe in tend to be happy. And so, you know, 
watching my kids go from not being able to, you know, to, to hit a single leg takedown to, you know, mastering it or, you know, never, never having, you know, won a match to, to winning a match, you know, all those like little victories. Like I remember them. My wife remembers them, you know, the older ones remember them. So, you know, everybody's kind of along for the journey, but also, you know, uh, very candidly, you know, I want my children to be able to defend themselves, uh, sure. and, you know, and to, to not be in the worst case scenario, you know, if, if somebody tries to place them in that scenario. And so just a generally healthy sport to be around. Well, it's healthy too, in that you might, it might seem like it's dangerous, but the extent of the injuries you're going to get are like broken fingers, maybe a broken arm, broken toes. It, you're not getting, you know, CTE or, or concussions for the most part. Exactly. Um, it, it it must be, um, it, you can sort of feel good about them as they're doing it. A- absolutely, yeah. It, it's it's actually one of the safer sports. Um, you know, the continuum of of danger in sports is boxing number one, football number two, soccer number three, and then everything else drops off significantly significantly from there. I want to say jujitsu is like thirty or something. Yeah. Um, most of the time, when there's a jujitsu injury. It, it, it's it's going to involve either uh, you know an arm joint, but not you know people aren't typically snapping arms. It's it's more like it got a little hyperextended, and you need to take a you know a week or two off as opposed to you know like any kind of serious injury. And with kids, that never happens. Kids never really you know they they, they have a diff- different speed than you know kind of idiot adults that take things too far. Yeah, all the injuries that I ever had were uh, against actually less skilled people who were always. trying too hard. Always. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, perfect example, Tim Kennedy, who, you know, is as elite as they come in grappling. Um, you know, he, he recently had a torn ACL and it was because of a less skilled person that was, was trying something and Tim didn't, you know, was trying to be nice and didn't want to crush him. And the guy uh, kind of tried to throw Tim in a weird way. And Tim planted his foot. And next thing you know, uh, you know, he's got a he's got a torn ACL and he needs surgery and the whole nine. And you know, he called me and was you know super upset about it. He's like, man, if you had thrown me, you know, I'd be perfectly fine right now. And it's it's because unskilled people do crazy things, and and it's it's life or death for them. Whereas you know, like if you and I rolled, I don't care if you tap me out. Like my my personal ego is not tied into how I do in practice or who gets me or who I get. Like it's all practice. Like we're there for practice. Every business is constantly asking themselves, what's a thing I can do to take my business to the next level? It's something I'm thinking about, of course, over at Daily Stoic and Daily Dad and the Painted Porch. And one of the tools I use for just that is LinkedIn Jobs, because LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. You might have just listened to the episode I put up where I was given a talk at LinkedIn back in 
2017. So I've been using LinkedIn a long time because LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. And hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. It's so easy. In fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. We've hired multiple people here at Daily Stoic from LinkedIn. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash stoic. That's linkedin.com slash stoic to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Get your Easter shopping done without leaving the house with DoorDash. When the holidays come around and family comes to town, things can get forgotten. But with DoorDash, you can order your Easter baskets, chocolate bunnies, brunch must-haves, and so much more all in one place delivered right to your door. Actually, last Easter, I was in Annapolis. I was giving a talk and we realized we didn't have some of the Easter supplies we needed for the hotel room we were in to give our kids a little on-the-road Easter experience. And that's what we did. We DoorDashed everything we needed for Easter just like a couple weeks ago when I hurt my ankle. I DoorDashed an ankle brace and some medicine. You can get anything you need on DoorDash with so many local and national stores to choose from. You can take it easy this Easter knowing you can get everything you need. Whether you're looking for plastic eggs for your Easter egg hunt or needing an ingredient for a side dish, DoorDash can help. Order now and get everything you need for Easter on DoorDash. Use code DAILYSTOIC to get 50% off up to $10 when you spend $15 on your next convenience, grocery, or retail order on DoorDash. That's code DAILYSTOIC. Order using DoorDash today for eligible users only. Terms apply. Yeah, I think one of the lessons, one of the most sort of humbling and inspiring things I found in jiu-jitsu, which again would be something I really wanted to teach my kids, and I'd be curious how you've seen this lesson sort of manifest, is I have found, you know, you walk in to uh, a gym and the best guys or, or, or women are the kindest, mm-hmm. the quietest, the most generous, and the most secure in them, yeah. like you yeah. think it would be intimidating that these are aggressive people. These are like, you know, killers, like with a killer instinct kind of a thing. And it's almost as if the competitive drive in jujitsu is turned inward as opposed to outward, which is interesting in that it is a directly competitive sport where you are trying mm-hmm. to break your opponent. But for whatever reason, there's not, I just never found that sort of jockey like let me bust your balls or let me humiliate you or let me show you why i'm better than you and yeah. ironically again it's the insecure people who are new that you have to be worried about yeah yeah well, i mean I, I think i think that there are so few people that reach the elite level um that you need each other right like sure. you 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 know what you've earned you know who you are you know what you've accomplished you know what you're capable of And to get better, you know, you're not going to get better training with somebody that doesn't know anything. Like you're, you're getting better training with somebody, um, that's better than you, or, or at at least is at your level or can push you. And so, you know, the only real matches are when, you know, you and somebody that's your equal or better says, Hey, let's go hard on this one. Like this one, we're going to, we're going to treat this like a real match. We're going to treat this like a real fight. Like, let's try to win. Um, and those are, those are really valuable training experiences and you have to do those sometimes, but most training, especially, you know, after 40, you can't, you can't operate like that. You know, you, if you want to play jujitsu, um, you can't be going a hundred percent every single time. And, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's how you get hurt. It's how it, you make it not fun. It's how you push other people out of the sport. 
And so, you know, ultimately you want people to join your sport. You want people to learn and, you know, like I can get on top of a white belt and make their life miserable and, and make sure they never come back again. But then, you know, no one wins. Right. Um, you know, and so you got to let you got to let people play. You got to let people get in dominant positions and kind of work your way out of them and explain how you did it. And, um, and I, I find that most, you know, high ranked people are, are pretty good and uh, good human beings. Uh, and in fact, a lot of black belts now have a policy where they're not going to promote somebody to brown belt or higher unless, you know, regardless of their skill level, if, if they don't think that they're, you know, people of character. Interesting. Yeah, my last, my, actually, I might have two, but what, one one of the things, uh, obviously, with stoicism, there's this sort of sense that it's very masculine, that it's only for guys, that it's all... Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but your wife is very good at jujitsu, and actually, some of the most sort of yeah. skilled grapplers I've ever seen have have not have not been men. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you can't really speak to her experience, but you, you, that both your daughters uh, are are in it is also interesting to me. It's not just for 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 guys. No, so um, my my wife is a badass. Um, she's actually, I believe, and I, I haven't done the research, but I couldn't find anyone else. I believe she was the first. Uh, wrestling, uh, wrestling coach in North Carolina that was a woman. Um, and basically what happened was, uh, we lost both of our middle school wrestling coaches, uh, on the same day. Uh, one got a job offer elsewhere that he'd been trying to work at this place for like 12 years. Um, and the other had recently got, uh, gotten married and decided, you know, I don't, this takes up so much time. I want to devote it to, to my, my marriage. And so all of a sudden we went from having two great coaches to having no coaches. Well, uh, Suzanne had, you know, she had been wrestling with me for years as part of improving her jujitsu game. And she, she's a accomplished wrestler. Um, and so she said, well, you know, our girls need to have a wrestling coach. You know, do you think I can do it? And I said, absolutely. Like you're, you know, you're very technical, you know how to teach. Um, and frankly, I think there's nothing that's going to be better for, you know, uh, 12 and 13 year old boys than getting their butt absolutely kicked by a woman, you know, sure. and, and a 110 pound woman at that. And that's exactly what happened is, is, uh, you know, she, she basically went to the middle school and said, I'll coach. Um, and then, you know, other coaches came on board eventually, but like, at, you know, at the very beginning, she was the wrestling coach by herself. And, um, you know, she smoked a bunch of, uh, a bunch of teenagers on, on the first day of practice. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, there was a lot of respect, but, but I will say this generation is so much better than, you know, uh, my generation, you know, there were very few women in wrestling when I was a wrestler. And when, uh, when a woman joined the team, you know, it was like, Hey, let's run her off. It was a let's whole thing. Off the team. Yeah, it was a whole thing. And, and it, that was a thing that like, uh, you know, I never participated in. It was actually a conversation I had with my coach when I was, you know, captain of my high school team. I, you know, I said, I'm not going to do that. You know, like you've, you've taught me that like, if people don't quit for the wrestling team, then they're wrestlers and, and we got to go the same way. And to his credit, he actually said, you know what, you're right. Um, but it was definitely a thing in the early nineties to, try to make sure that women were not on the team. Whereas now. And the whole women, humiliation of, oh, I was beaten by a girl or what if I lose to a girl as if, that, as that if was it's a huge not just fear. losing, period. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a huge, huge fear. Um, 
And, you know, now it's just not like that. Like there are women on, on every wrestling team I've seen. It's accepted. Every coach accepts it. And I will say this. I personally believe that that women's wrestling and women's grappling saved Olympic uh, wrestling. Huh. Uh, there was a period of time where, you know, like the, the oldest Olympic sport, you know, got cut from the Olympics in 2016. People forget that. And there was a huge movement to bring it back. And I, I've heard through the grapevine from a lot of people that the reason that it came, that it came back was because of the interest in women's wrestling. And women's wrestling is now the fastest growing uh, individual sport in America. Wow. That's fascinating. All right. Last jujitsu question. Um, All right. I'm ready. One of the things, another sort of uh, parallel to stoicism that I've liked, I sort of found it inspiring. What the, For people who are not familiar, sort of how jujitsu gyms go, it's kind of like CrossFit in that um, you sort of go, there's like a warm up, and then there's like, a set of instructions for the day, like here's the lesson, and then there's like the the, the rolling or whatever, right? Yeah. And, yep. and then questions. But I, I I just love the idea that it's basically like you at any level of any proficiency anywhere in the world could drop in at a jujitsu gym and like the same process is happening. They're not all doing the same mm -hmm. lesson, but mm -hmm. more or less the same format. I just loved the sort of the image of like all these different people on different different places but on the same journey just meeting up all over the world there was something sort of inspiring and i think similar to the journey of self-improvement and philosophy that we're all on which is like look classes are everywhere choose to show up or not yeah yeah and and there you know um when, when you put it like that, you know, it's absolutely true. Like, you know, different, you know, every, every instructor has their own flavor on things, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe they snap instead of clap, or maybe they're an anti-clapping gym or whatever, but there is a process and it's a familiar process. And I, you know, I absolutely believe that, uh, you know, people in the jujitsu community, um, feel very comfortable. And in fact, you know, couples that are hardcore into jujitsu, almost make it part of their vacation. Like if they yeah. go, if they go to the Bahamas, they also want to find, you know, uh, Gracie Bahamas or whatever. And, yeah, and like dropping in. it at a CrossFit box or what? Yeah. 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 It's, it's just part of the experience for, for people. I'm not one of those people. When I'm on <laughs> vacation. I want to do nothing, you know, but uh, you know, sure. it's, we're, we're all different. No, no. You're traveling for business. You might want to stop in or if you're trying yeah, to yeah, challenge yeah. yourself, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, cool. So let's talk about your life as an entrepreneur, because you and I met at that American Dream You thing where you were talking to veterans who were transitioning out of the military. Did, did we meet there or did, we, so. did, did we meet years earlier with Tucker? I think we'd met over email before, but that was like, that was where, I don't even think we both knew we were going to the thing, but we both bumped into each other at Fort Bragg. Uh, okay. Okay. And, yeah, that, that, yeah. and then I remember we went to a fight and then MC Hammer was there. It was all very, yeah, weird. that's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but talk me, talk me, talk to me about your journey. I, I, I stole his limo that night. <laughs> talk to me about your journey to entrepreneurship, because it, that's not what most people do coming out of, you know, the army Rangers. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I, I left the military and I went to, How old? uh, man, what, I must've been 26 or 27, somewhere in there. I think I was 27. Um, 
I left the military and uh, I went to Duke University uh, for business school. So not a real degree in MBA. Um, and, uh, and, and kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say wasted a couple of years there, but um, it was not, it was more an education and interacting with uh, the cohort than it was I was learning anything critical in these classes. Um, while I was at Duke, I volunteered with the ROTC and I taught them uh, small unit tactics and uh, army combatives. And it was just a thing. It was fun to kind of stay connected in, to the military in some small way. Um, then I got a corporate job at a Fortune 100 company. And uh, I was working at, at John Deere um, and I was still local. So I continued doing the ROTC thing. And uh, so, you know, every morning at 6 a.m., I was at Duke uh, in the wrestling room and I was I was teaching, you know, uh, combatives. And one of the one day, a couple of the, the kids were like, you know, man, I, I really want to wear some like, you know, some military clothing. But all the all the T-shirts out there are skulls and snakes and death from above. And it's like way too hardcore. And I'm in college and I just want something that's kind of like cool. Um, and so, you know, I had been teaching these kids for years and I, I went to Michael's and I, I got some heat transfer paper and basically like made some cool shirts for them just out of heat transfer using Microsoft paint, you know, and, uh, and they thought it was great. And, you know, they were just like, Hey, you know, you should think about doing this and actually, you know, hiring a designer and doing it properly. And I kind of like thought about it, wasn't super excited about it, but, um, you know, it stayed in the back of my head. And then uh, I got more and more bored with the corporate gig. Um, and so I was like, you know what, let me launch this little hobby. And, and the hobby was called Ranger Up. And uh, people started writing me from Afghanistan and Iraq saying, man, this is great. Uh, you know, I'm so glad there's finally something like this for us. Um, and, and it became a bigger and bigger part of my life to the point where you know, at, at the peak of me being a quasi entrepreneur, uh, my life was, you know, get to work at 7am, leave the office by, you know, five, 6pm, come home, um, you know, have, have dinner with my ex. And, uh, and then from, you know, 7pm until 3am, I was, you know, filling orders, uh, working on designs, working on marketing schemes, you know, whatever. Like I just, I lived in this loop of, you know, three, four hours of sleep a night, two jobs. Um, and I got to this inflection point where the, the, the company was, you know, getting pretty big, but it wasn't big enough to really support the life that, you know, I, I was living. Um, but also I had no more time. And at this point I, I had hired, you know, a, a couple of people and I had a little warehouse because, you know, there was no more, no more room left in the house for shirts. So, you know, I got a little warehouse and, uh, my boss called me, you know, into his office and said on a Friday and said, Hey, you know, great news. You're getting promoted. <clears throat> it's going to be a hundred thousand dollar raise. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't come from wealth, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I'm, I'm the, you know, the, the son of immigrants, um, uh, you know, and, and certainly, you know, my, my parents worked very hard and, and we, we had a good life and we were middle-class by the time my dad retired. But, uh, you know, the idea of making the kind of money I was making 
was attractive. And, uh, but I, I, I just did not like my life. And so I thought about it all weekend. I kind of called a couple people, talked to my dad. And, and then on Monday I came in and I told my boss that I was quitting. And, uh, you know, everybody, everybody was like, are you, you know, are you crazy? Like, you know, you, you basically have run the playbook for like the right thing to do to have the right kind of life. You know, I sure did. I did West Point. I was, you know, I was in the army, uh, you know, I, I did the right things in the army and then Duke and now at the fortune 100 gig. And, and it's just like the only time in my life where I was unhappy was like making all this money and being in this company that like, I just didn't feel like I was making any difference. And so I jumped into being a real entrepreneur and, uh, almost bankrupted myself. Uh, you know, I, I got a divorce. Um, I was, a you know, for a, a period of time, you know, I was a, a single dad with a, a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And, uh, I mean, it, it like when I tell you that it was a challenging period of my life, that is a gross understatement. Um, and you know, there was a moment where I had, $57,000 in credit card debt and about $1,300 left in my bank account. And I still, you know, had, had these two toddlers and trying to figure out how it was, I was going to make it all work. And I told myself, uh, instead of saying, you know, I'm going to go back to the corporate world. The decision was if I don't have more money in my bank account on this day, next month, I have to get a second job and I'll figure out how to restructure things to make Ranger Up work. And, um, you know, I, I worked harder than I ever have in my entire life. And I, I, I just you know, made every phone call I could and tried so many different things and uh, ended up landing a, a pretty cool article in um, the Military Times that kind of... Sure skyrocketed us forward. And the next, the next month I looked at my bank account, you know, and I had, uh, $1,350 and, and I actually got a little emotional about it because as silly as that $50 was, it was, it was a big win for me. And then, uh, the next month I had 1500 and the next month I had uh, a few thousand. And then, uh, fast forward about 18 months. And, you know, I, I was buying a, a, a nice home in, in Chapel Hill and, um, I was very fortunate that like all of the work paid off, but even if it hadn't, I was committed to the journey. Sure. And I think, I think that, that commitment is really important if you actually want to succeed as an entrepreneur. Look, when I was first thinking of going to therapy, it was a little overwhelming, right? What's covered by insurance? How far do I have to drive? When do they have appointments? I mean, when I first started going to therapy, the idea of online therapy, virtual therapy, it wasn't even an option. And now things are so much easier, so much better. Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, be a guiding light. And Talkspace, specifically today's sponsor, can help with any specific challenges you might be facing. It's the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties. And with Talkspace, you can easily find a therapist that you like. You can schedule virtual appointments and make the most of your time, which even as you're taking care of yourself, you always should try to do. And as a listener of this podcast, you'll get 80 bucks off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash stoic. To match with a licensed therapist, go to Talkspace.com slash stoic to get 80 bucks off your first month. Show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash Stoic. 
The Daily Stoic is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. One of the cool things about podcasts is that you can multitask while you're listening, but depending on what you're doing right now. Like, for instance, if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you could be doing. You could be getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $700 on average and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on on your policy, being a homeowner and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year. So you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join over 29 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $698 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Yeah, I was writing about this in the the book on courage that I just did. I think people expect that like, oh, this person was in the army. You know, this person's been under fire. You know, this person has all this training. I think we assume, or this person's trained in fighting. I think we assume that sort of physical courage from physical courage, uh, uh, moral courage uh, follows. And by moral courage, I mean the courage to pursue a business or to bet on yourself or to, 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 to take an unconventional path, but it's, it's not true. And in fact, it may be that the other stuff is even scarier than, you know, uh, than, than the physical feats that people are sort of regularly capable of doing. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll tell you that I, like, I think it very much depends on the individual and, and what they have gone through. But for, for me, um, the fear of letting, you know, in particular, my kids down was, was the hardest part. And it, it, kind of, it kind of stays with you for a longer period of time. When you have a business problem, a real business problem, or, or you're in a startup, the solution comes over months and years, not days, not hours. Sure. Um, whereas, you know, anything that happens, uh, you know, when you're talking about physical danger tends to be a very short duration. Um, and certainly the intensity is higher, you know, especially if you're in a situation where you're, you know, your friends are, are, are dying or, or something like that. And, and thankfully, I, I was never in a situation where one of my, my friends uh, or soldiers was hurt. Uh, but, you know, so like I'm not comparing them in terms of danger, but the emotional strain of being in a is this going to work situation is, is very significant. Um, and, you know, and I, I it breaks more people uh, than you would expect. And so yeah, I was I was talking to a whistleblower recently and he was saying something like uh, this is a private conversation, but he was saying like, like, look, like if this was about like leaping off a cliff, like deciding to go public with something or, you know, deciding to quit my job or 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 running into battle. He's like, that would have been like one thing I did once. He yeah. was like the thing was I was having to choose this every day. They were like, mm. sign this paper and we'll leave you alone. And I had to say no. And I had to say this you know, no, 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 no. As they came for my house, as they came for my parents' house, as they came, you know, he was like, I had to choose it every day. And that was the grind and the terror Mm -hmm. of it 
because, you know, I couldn't, if I just done it once, that would have been a a moment, but it was, it was that it was months and months and months of it. So I can only imagine what that, that period of struggle was like for you. Yeah. I mean, it it was, uh, you know, it's weird because on the one hand, I want to tell you that it, it, it was a nightmare, but on the other hand, I think I felt most alive during that period of time. And I think that uh, one of the great things about being an entrepreneur, and and you know this, is you really are are making or breaking it on your own. And so so I think your best comes out when it has to, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I I mean, I I 100% feel like, you know, in times where, where my business is really thriving, I have to you know, remind myself on a daily basis, like, you know, get in there and fight, like, you know, be as good as you are when things are bad. But, you know, when there is a crisis, when you have to perform, like, you know, you just take it to another level. And and so I think a lot of the things I'm most proud of in business, you know, happened in moments where everything was shitty. You know, it's, it's when it's, when, when there's plenty of cash in the bank account, it's just iteration. Oh, that iteration didn't work. No problem. Like, we'll just try another iteration. When there's very little money in the bank account or you owe more than you have, um, you can't miss. And so there's something exciting and horrifying about that all at the same time that, that makes this, this gig fun. So, so as far as moments of actual sort of punctuated courage, sort of courage under fire, danger courage that we're talking about, Walk me through what your experience was. I, I know you just sort of recently got back from Afghanistan. You were part of the civilian group that uh, helped uh, rescue people. Was it was it during yeah. the, the final weeks or yeah. when did you go? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, again, and you know this because I, I know a lot of your friends. When you when you have weird friends, weird things happen to you. And uh, so I, I have two friends, uh, one uh, named Chad Robichaud, uh, who used to be, he was one of the first Ranger Up fighters back in the day when we, we sponsored a lot of MMA fighters. Uh, Chad was a strike force champion. Um, and Chad now runs a, uh, you know, a pretty hefty nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. And then another friend, Sarah Verardo, who runs an organization called the Independence Fund for, for badly uh, wounded veterans. Um, and so Chad calls me and, uh, I'm, I'm sitting with, with Tim Kennedy cause, uh, you know, I'm currently writing his book with him and, uh, Chad calls me and is like, Hey, uh, you know, my interpreter is, uh, is trapped in Afghanistan and, you know, we want to get him out, you know, can you help? And then, uh, you know, and I'm taken aback and, and, you know, and, you know, he, Tim's there. And so he's, he's talking to both of us and, you know, we're, we're, we're all friends. And he's like, you know, what do you think? And Tim and I both say like, you know, do you have a plan? Like, what is our mission? Like, what are we, I don't want to just like go and hang out, like, you know, and, and right. say, oh, oh, I did it. You know, I was there. Like, what, what are we going to do? And then uh, Sarah Verardo called almost immediately thereafter and, and kind of had the same ask. And now it's like, you know, you know, every, everybody jokes around, you know, you have that friend that shows up in the white van with no windows and the, the door flies open and he's holding like a gun. He's like, you know, get in no time for questions. Like, do you get in? Well, 
you know, these are two people that Tim and I both were willing to get into the van for. And so uh, I called, called my wife and I said, Hey, I, I need to know what you think about this. You can say no. And uh, you know, we're going to go try to get some, some Afghan and American citizens out, you know, in Afghanistan. And she's like, well, what's happening over there is horrible. Uh, there's nothing I can do about it. So, you know, you and Tim should go and, and do what you can. But if you get killed, I'm going to be really pissed. <laughs> and so, uh, so I flew home uh, that day. Um, my wife and I celebrated our anniversary. And then uh, the next day I was on a plane to Abu Dhabi um, sitting next to Tim. Uh, we got into country in Abu Dhabi where uh, that was our, our host country. Um, they, uh, they had a relationship with one of our, our friends that allowed us to operate out of there. So, uh, in total, 12 of us showed up and about, I want to say two hours after I landed in Abu Dhabi, I was, uh, sitting on a landing strip on a, on a, on a plane, uh, heading to Kabul and over the course of, 10 days of operations, uh, 12, 12 guys, uh, evacuated, uh, 12,000 people, um, into our host country. We were, we represented 10.2% of everyone that got evacuated from Hamid Karzai international airport. And, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just absolutely insane, insane situation, you know? So the plane lands, uh, you know, like the door opens up and most of the time, if you've ever been on an airstrip, which I'm sure you have, everything is perfect. It's neat. There's no trash. Uh, everything's controlled. <clears throat> well, you know, I get out of the airplane, there's a dude in like an M gator. Uh, I hop in that we're driving like under moving planes uh, because there, there's no time, everybody, like all of the normal military things, like in a regular environment, there's no way civilians are landing in H Kaya and just doing whatever they want. But these right. guys were like, you know, uh, both DOD and DOS were like, Hey, you guys have planes and like, you're not idiots. And, and we, you're a known quantity. We know who you guys are. Uh, here's, here's a, a landing strip and a hangar. Um, and so we had our, we had our own, we had our own hangar and, uh, and we were integrated into everything that they did because we were able to get two C-17s from our host country. And then we were able to get three other chartered planes. And so we're 12 dudes with five airframes and a place to bring people. And so, you know, we basically operated 24 seven. We slept, you know, like an hour or two here and there. Um, there were kind of three teams. There was one team that stayed in UAE there was one team um, that that Tim was a part of that went in and out of the wire constantly, and then there was a team that was like the conduit between those two, and that that was the team that I was on, which was we were we were, uh, you know, in Kabul at the airport, loading people onto planes, checking manifests, making sure nobody was getting on a plane with, you know, any kind of weapons or anything like that, helping people get through the gates. Um, and so, yeah, man, 10, 10 hardcore crazy. is crazy. Yeah. And it, 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 it's it, the worst thing I've ever seen. 
Well, you know what's weird about it? It's it's when you watch it on the news, obviously it's terrible and and we could get into why it happened, who's to blame for what happened. But it is interesting the stories we choose to tell ourselves about these things, right? Sort of one read for instance on the pandemic is that this is the most colossal failure in human history. We screwed it up from start to finish, and there's elements of truth by that. But you could also look at hey, the, the invention and the rollout of these vaccines is, you know, a scientific achievement on, on, yeah. on par with the moon landing. You know, it's like you could look at Afghanistan as this colossal failure. It's America in decline. It's also, you know, a feat of logistics and humanitarian uh, uh, rescue operations on feet with Dunkirk, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it's this weird thing where I wonder how we're going to look at it historically. And, and it is... It is both terrifying that civilians such as yourself were involved and then also inspiring no, I, along the lines of Dunkirk that civilians such as yourself were involved. Yeah. So for, for me, I don't I don't know that I've and I, and I don't want to make it political because I, I think that either party would have screwed it up. Sure. But um, uh, I, I don't think I've ever been more disappointed in the government but simultaneously more inspired by the American citizen. Sure. Because, you know, I was on the ground because, uh, because of the friends that I have, because I'm a known quantity, because of social media, because of a lot of dumb things that you, you and I both know are not all that important. Um, it could have been any, any number of other veterans that are more qualified that, you know, that have more skill in the area that, uh, you know, that I was executing. Um, but the, the whole veteran community was trying, you know, like sure. people, people were making manifests and they were communicating and they were building groups and, and they were, you know, once they figured out, Hey, uh, you know, Nick Palmashano is on the ground, you know, Tim Kennedy's on the ground. We were getting, you know, consolidated lists from people that we trusted that we were then, you know, connecting, you know, trying to get a hold of people on WhatsApp. And once we had locations, we were clearing it with, you know, the Joint Chiefs Chiefs of Staff and Department of State. And once they were cleared, we were going out and getting them. And, you know, it was like every single veteran that I know was trying to do something to help whether they were in a situation like I was where I could physically be on the ground or they were in DC and they could, you know, maybe rattle some cages and get some, some senators or or congressmen to help, or they were sitting on their couch on WhatsApp, trying to help put together a spreadsheet. Like everybody was trying, you know, in a weird way. um, It it was very nine 12 in that, you know, the, the community was, was coming together. It's kind of like the, you know, when you watch like during a hurricane or something, you watch the sort of the Cajun Navy or, you know, everyone comes together and does stuff. And you're just like, this is heroic and inspiring. Also should not be necessary. Should not be necessary. Yeah. There is no way that 44-year-old Nick Palmashano should have been in Kabul. Just straight up. Like, right. like, honestly, even when I was asked, I was like, yeah, there's no way that's going to be possible. And then like, I'm on a plane. And then I'm in Kabul and then I'm like, and, and not only was it possible, but like when I tell you it was necessary, it, it was, it was necessary and they were happy to have us. And, um, you know, so, so like, you know, on the one hand, I'm like, how did we get here? But on the other hand, I, I give DOS and DOD a lot of credit for, because 
because it's not it's not very government to say, you know what, we need the help. Right. Um, but I will tell you the, the one thing that I, I really wish that the press had covered was was how bad the situation was, because it, it, it is the worst thing that I've ever seen. Um, the most desperation I have ever seen. People were literally throwing babies over the wall, trying to save their children. And kids were getting stuck in concertina wire and bleeding out. And, and like, it was that level of desperation. And, um, the troops on the ground had to deal with that, you know, 24 seven for, for weeks, you know, playing God, deciding who gets to live like a really, sure. uh, a, a truly awful situation that, that probably was glossed over by, by, you know, all of Western news. So what, what is that? Cause that's my, been my feeling during the pandemic too. this sense of like, how is the country that was on paper the most prepared in the entire world that has every resource, every thing you could possibly need. Mm-hmm. But we've we've failed so. We, not only have we failed miserably. I was liking. I was likening it. I was just talking to someone. It's like, well, it's two things. One, it's like you have a super talented team. You know, like a great team with a yeah. bunch of great guys and or you know all the talent in the world that just can't execute but then it's also this is the other sort of boogeyman that i think we're struggling with as a society it's like you have a really i was i was saying like we're the brooklyn nets right you have the best players in the world and then you have one whack job uh like basically a perpetual locker room cancer that has now destroyed like three teams in a row. I don't even, you don't even have to get into the vaccine stuff. Just Kyrie Irving sucks. Like Kyrie Irving, <laughs> character is fate. Kyrie Irving, you put him on your team, he will tear it to, to pieces. That's what he does. We've got that vibe right now as a country. Yeah. It's like, you know, people want to talk about America first. We want to talk about being bad. At, and it's like, you yeah. can't when you have, a, it's not just dead weight. When you have people trying to go in the other direction, yeah, um, I think I, you know, and there's a lot of theories around this, but like I, I believe strongly, and I, like I say this as a person that that you know, in many ways, makes his living through social media. I think social media has become a very bad thing. Yes. Um, because we can surround ourselves only, you know, with people that think exactly like us and human beings yearn for conflict. It's defining for us. And and society is so good. And so in many ways, so easy now that there isn't a natural conflict in our lives. People are not, you know, I, I know, I know everybody likes to kind of pretend that like things are bad right now and life is bad and, and you know, the economy is terrible and all that. But, you know, it really isn't. There, there's there's more opportunity now for more people, regardless of education, than there ever has been in human history. And in the absence of actually having conflict, people look for it. And so here you have, you know, a, a, a group of people on both sides of the aisle that, that profiteer off of creating conflict. Like if you actually look on Twitter and you look on Facebook and and people are talking about on both sides of the aisle are talking about that we need a civil war. (laughs) I I have seen several civil wars in my life. And I got to tell you, 
Like, we do not need a civil war. Like, we need to have, like, picnics in neighborhoods. And, and also, like, who do you think's? I, my joke is, like, who do you think's fighting in this civil war? Yeah, like, who, who, who are these people? Like, I mean, and, like, and I always ask people the same question. Like, you know, whenever somebody's like, yeah, I think we need a civil war. I just like, hey, are you, you know, hey, your, your neighbor's, uh, you know, liberal or, or conservative, whatever the person is. Like, yeah. your neighbor's liberal, right? Yeah, yeah. Are you ready to go shoot him in the face and shoot his family and kids in the face? No. Well, well so you don't really want a civil war. And, and, and like, they're like appalled by the notion, but like, what, what do you think happens in a civil war? That's exactly what happens. Well, people don't understand what they're doing. Even civil, put aside civil war. Like, I think this is something that really struck me uh, in in the 2020 election. After the election comes in, Biden clearly wins. Uh, and, and people start talking about these sort of desperate hands. Like, it was like, I don't think you understand what you succeeding at whatever it is that you're trying to do would be. Right. Like, like, like let's just say some of these lawsuits had worked. Right. You would have effectively, uh, ironically, you're accusing people of stealing an election as you try to steal an election. But on top of that, like, like, I don't think people really thought about even as they're storming the Capitol. I don't think you think about you're thinking about first off. It's okay, So you're going to hang Mike Pence. But second, (laughs) um, like you have now seized control of the government. I don't think you understand where that road ends. So people yeah. are, are, I think because people are used to playing around on the internet, they think this is all fake. And then it's almost like on January 6th, they're, they're, they're like, how did I find myself here? Being a police <laughs> officer to death with the Blue Lives Matter flag. You know, you'd never believe it. Yeah. It's no, terrible. I, it's fucking yeah. terrible. The things that people are comfortable saying to each other on the internet are, I won't even say shocked anymore because I've been around it for so long, but you know, like I'm a big fan of, I'm not going to say anything on the internet that I will not tell you personally, you know? So like, and, and just like the, the, the meanness of it, the mean spiritedness. And and even now, like the vaccine debate, like I, I think it's crazy. I'm vaccinated. You know, I believe I believe that, you know, vaccination is the right choice. I think that's what you should do. But I, I also am I'm at a point now where I'm like, man, there's a lot of people that want non-vaccinated people to like suffer in Hades. You know, it's like I think we just need to take take a step back. Like I, I firmly believe that Americans do not like to be told what to do. I think that if we had not said, like, you have to do this, more people would be vaccinated. I don't know. I push back on you there. These people have had a year now to get their shit together. I'm thinking about this with, like, police officers, right? Police officers in Texas have had access to the vaccine since December, right? And they're, like, 40% vaccinated now. Yeah, I know. What's weird to me is this idea that, like, well, first, there's two things. One, you're going around sticking your head in people's cars, stepping into their home. You don't have a right to 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 traipse in there with the deadly pandemic. Like, screw you. That's not OK. Right. That was my first take. But my second take is like your whole job is enforcing laws that people don't like on them. And then then society says, hey, by the way, we want these people who we trust with the power with essentially a license to kill 
We want them not to cough germs on us and, and to get this basic vaccine. And they're like, who are you to tell me what to do? Like the irony of cops rejecting the idea that the law can force you to do something you don't want to do. It's such a preposterous irony for me. It's almost too much to bear. No, you know, I, I do know I do know where you're coming from there. But I also, you know, it's like I can't force you, you know, like if I'm sick. Sure. And you have uh, and we have the same bone marrow. I can't force you to to give me your bone marrow like you would call that, you know, an infringement. But we can force you not to drink and drive. Yeah, sure. We, sure. But I, I also think, you know, and again, like I'm saying this as a person that tells everybody I know, sure. get vaccinated. I think it's the right thing to do. I also think that the government does itself a disservice when it hides some information. You know, for example, like as with all vaccines, there are negative side effects for a very limited portion of the population. And that information, not only did the government, you know, not put that out in a place that was readily available, but they actually asked Google and they asked Facebook to, to you know, keep some of that information from getting out. Like, personally, I'm a big fan of maximum information. Hey, there is a 0.0001% chance that, you know, if you have this particular heart condition, you know, the vaccine might be dangerous for you. Or, hey, you know, there's there is something going on in Israel right now that they are studying that there are, you know, there are multiple studies talking about like, hey, um, we're noticing some changes in some women's menstruation. Like now I know why people want to do that. They don't want people taking that and and blowing it up and, and saying, like, you know, the vaccine's going to make you sterile because pe- there are like the grifters sure. will the grifters will do that. But. When, as soon as the government gets involved in withholding information, it allows those people to have a significant amount of power. Like, I have always thought that the right thing to do was to say, hey, this is a new vaccine. We believe it is safe. We've done all of these tests. We strongly believe, and the data reflects, that it is much safer to get the vaccine than to not get the vaccine. However, here are these you know, minuscule things that are potentially dangerous. And like, when you don't do that, you open the door for people that want to believe the worst things possible in society. The same people that don't believe we landed on the moon, think that the, the earth is flat. Like the, you give, you give those people some credibility. Yeah, no, look, I, I, I was saying this too. It's like, I would love for there to be no vaccine mandates, right? Like I think anytime we could not mandate stuff would be excellent. Sure. The problem is, uh, what do you do when society does when people don't do the right thing? Right again, like yeah. it'd be wonderful not to have a bunch of the laws that we have. And and I I've got to figure if we were at ninety percent vax rates the way that some other countries are, we probably wouldn't be having to have these conversations. It, so so it's like America has this problem where um, we take we we maximize for liberty, which I I'm I'm all for. But then we minimize for responsibility. So like, you know, the governor of Texas is a real piece of shit um, he, he, uh, in, in many ways. But but like, you know, he, he's like personal responsibility is the way through the pandemic. Totally agree. 
But the next words out of your mouth have to be, and here's what every individual is responsible for. Instead, we have this kind of thing where it's like, we shouldn't be mandating, these should be voluntary. And then it's like, also, here's all the reasons why the the uh, the obligation doesn't fall on me, right? So mm-hmm. it's like it's like look look, it'd be wonderful. It's it's good to have an all volunteer army until yeah. suddenly there's a crisis and uh, yep. you know and you, you need, need more so. you need more people. Yep. So so it's this weird thing where we and and James Stockdale said this that the flip side of like whoa, how does that my problem is I am my brother's keeper, and we seem mm-hmm. to have like. We seem to have forgotten that. Like the same instinct that sent you over to Afghanistan, even though your service is over, even you've got your own life, even though you've got your own kids to worry about. If we could all share that impulse, a lot of these things that people are objecting to as being mandatory would not have to be mandatory. And they'd be with, more meaningful too. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I, I I'm a I'm a huge personal responsibility guy. And frankly, I, I love that messaging. And I wish that that had been the messaging from Trump. And I wish that had been the messaging from Biden. And I I think, you know, but like, there's also this small part of me that thinks like if Trump was like, Hey, go and get this vaccine that right now, Democrats would be the (laughs) anti-vaxxers. You know, and and I know, I know plenty of left wing people that have their own insane reasons for not being vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, crosses party lines. It does. But I, I, I do think it started it started as a political thing, though. I, I, I really do. To me, that's going to be the tragic legacy of his presidency, among other things, is that is that not only are, is this vac- vaccine polarized, but now health itself or all public health measures are politicized. And instead of being able to be getting safer and better as a society, we're now you know, they're, they're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're going to be fucking up all sorts of of, yeah. of, you know, and that's the irony of the military objection to the vaccines. It's like you've been vaccinated more than literally anyone oh, yeah. else on the planet. And yeah, suddenly I, now in the midst of the worst public health crisis in the hundred years, you've got strong opinions about what's going, what, what, Ryan, they're, what they're putting in there. I, I got like the HEP and the MMR vaccine, like, I don't know, eight times in one year because Every time they were like, hey, do you have your vaccine card? I didn't have it with me because we were in the field or whatever. And they were like, hey, we, we've got you marked as red. So we need to give you the vaccine. I was like, yeah, I get, you know, what could, you know, I might, sure. I might be some super uh, breeding ground for some new variation of HEP because of all the vaccine I've had. Um, yeah. Hilarious. I mean, you just get constantly vaccinated. So I, uh, I, I personally, I was so happy when my family got vaccinated. I lost my grandmother. To COVID? Uh, to, to, to COVID, yeah. Oh, man, lost, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, pre- I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Lost my grandmother to COVID. I was extremely worried about my parents. When they got vaccinated, I was I was thrilled. Um, you know, it, it, but, like, I'm, I'm weird, man. Like, I'm not willing to say, like, that people have to do it. I, I just, I, I think that I, I strongly believe that, like, if we message differently, more people would. But... I also think that private organizations can mandate whatever they want. Sure. You know, like as a, there's no party for me anymore, but as, as you know, a, a, a person that, uh, you know, believes in the, the actual constitution and used to consider myself a conservative, like I think you cannot mandate what a private business does. And so if a private totally. business wants everybody to be vaccinated, I think that's fine. 
Well, yeah, it's uh, like it's like, look, you do whatever you want. Uh, you just don't have a right to come sit in the same small office with yeah, me in the yeah, building and business yeah. that I own. Yep. Yeah. Like, like to me, that's totally fine. Right. Um, you know, you don't have people don't have to like it or whatever, but like that's within a business's rights. And so I think I think very few people understand the difference between like the power of the state and, and the power of the individual. And I think I think because of that, so many of these conversations get convoluted, you know, like the right to choose this. And No, no. To me, it's more like the average person who gets the Delta variant of COVID infects seven to 10 people. So I think mm-hmm. this the real problem I think that we're struggling with, this goes to the idea of, of responsibility, yeah. which is to me, the responsibility of every individual is not to fuck up other people's shit, right? Like our, we don't have the ability to externalize negative consequences of our actions. This is why I can't pollute. It's why yep. you can't drunk dri- drive drunk, yeah. et cetera. Like, yeah, I, get uh, it. I think that's where we struggle as a society. And, and I agree, we have not messaged well, not just in this, but period, like in school, anywhere, um, which is like why you can't make your stuff somebody else's problem in life. Like that to yeah. me is the essence of stoicism. It's the essence of being a good person. It's the essence of being a good Christian is like, hey, uh, don't, uh, you know, it's like, keep your stuff on your desk. You can keep your desk however you want, but when it starts spilling out into the world, then it's a problem. Yeah. No, I, listen, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I absolutely understand, you know, where you're coming from. I, you know, it's just, I, again, like I, I think the risk was absolutely worth, I mean, basically if you're vaccinated, you're not dying from COVID. Yes. I mean, that, like, that's, that's the reality. Like, you know, unless I, you're I, a cancer patient, like I've known a, a friend of ours it, is a cancer yeah, patient. Yes, yes, of course. Yes. It, it, you have, you have cancer, you're extremely overweight. You, you know, you have some other comorbidity. You're 97. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, but, but in general terms, you've got that second shot. You are not dying from COVID. And, you know, people talk about kids, you know, kid like a, a, a kid under you know somebody under the age of 15 ha, is 11 times less likely to die from covid than somebody that is vaccinated so like in my mind everybody that wants to be vaccinated is vaccinated except for you know the the small group of people that can't because of health conditions you know they're immunocompromised whatever it is um, and so, like, those are the people that, like, I, I worry about. But in general terms, like, the people that are dying are people that decided that the, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. And, like, I think that's their right if they want to take that risk. I think it's I think it's a bad risk. But here's where it gets complicated, right? So uh, it's, it's a little better now. But as of relatively recently, they were out of ICU beds and uh, even yeah. out of children's ICU beds in Central Texas, in all of the nine counties of Central Texas. Mm. So it's like, look, I'm vaccinated, my kid, my family's safe, but yep. now I have to worry about my son falling off the monkey bars because if he does, yeah. there's not a hospital yeah. bed for him. Where so is he going to go? It yeah. all comes back to, to me. And I, I, again, I think this is beyond vaccines, but it, which is, I think, a good place we can wrap up is I'll let you go. But it's like, <laughs> it, it, at the end of the day, Right. We have to me what the what what a man does, what an adult does, what a responsible person does, what a good citizen does is like, hey, 
does my choice negatively affect other people? And when it mm -hmm. does, that's a problem, right? And I think, yeah. well, I don't know why, maybe it's just so ingrained in you because of your military culture, you don't think that way. But I think people really struggle with not, not negatively affecting other people to the best of their ability, or it just doesn't occur. It's, yeah, it's, it's not that. So, so like, I, I want to make it real clear, personally, that is how I, I structure my personal decisions. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. For, for the country, I am a big fan of maximum freedom. You know, there, there's, there's the quote, you know, I, 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 I prefer uh, dangerous freedom over, over peaceful slavery. And I, I'm certainly not trying to claim that getting the vaccine sure. is slavery or anything like that. But, but I, in general terms, I believe that the American people should be left to make their own decisions. And I think it's, it's on us, people that care, people that have the ability to put out a message I think it's on politicians to do this the right way is to put out a message like, hey, this is what we know. Like, this is what we know. This is what we think is best. This is the right thing to do. You know, there might be dangers with it, but but all the data suggests that the right thing to do is to get the vaccine. And then if, you know, if people don't do that, you know, then by all means, like private, private business can say, look, you know, uh, you know, you're a danger to the organization and, and like, you know, you can't work here unless you're willing to, you know, either get this vaccine or literally on your own dime, get a PCR test every single week. You need to come in every Monday with an updated PCR test, you know, or, you know, or say the PCR test isn't enough. Like that is up to private business. And I have, I have no problem with it. Private business can do whatever it wants, but from a government standpoint, I get very nervous whenever the government is mandating something like this. Like it just, because I feel like the government has taken more and more and more freedom out of the hands of the American people in the name of safety. And I think that once freedom is taken, it doesn't come back. And, and so like, you know, I think it is not smart to not have the vaccine. And I, frankly, at this point with so many people that have it and have very, very few side effects, like I don't understand it. A logical person, I believe, should, should look at it and say, this is the right call. But I don't, I'm not going to hold somebody down and stick a needle in their butt either. <laughs> no, it's, it's, fa it's fascinating. It's so fascinating. Um, no, but I, I agree with your general, your general discomfort, uh, I'm just not sure what the alternative is at this point, but uh, I hear you. Hey, I did want to tell you, man, I thought this was a video. I thought we were video podcasting. So I have like, uh, like a shelf in the background with courage is calling on oh, it. Thanks. And, and like, you know, I, I just, I bought uh, a bunch of sets of your new three pack for my employees. Ah, you're uh, the so, so I was, I was going to give you like the whole, you know, the whole shit, you know, and, and like, you know, now it's just us talking. So, well, well, I think we got more in depth because I, I find like, I really go deeper on the, on the audio ones than the video ones, but I, I'm sorry to miss your, your, your shrine to me. Yeah. I mean, I it, it looked, it. it looked, it was nice. It was like a, you know, a pretty nice look. So I'll send you a picture. Oh man, you're the best. This was so awesome. I appreciate everything. And uh, hopefully we can roll one of these days. Sounds good, man. 
My new book, Courage is Calling, is now officially a New York Times bestseller. Thank you so much to everyone who supported the book. It, it was literally and figuratively overwhelming. We signed almost 10,000 copies of the book, which just, you know, it, it hit me right here. And I appreciate it so much. If you haven't picked up a copy or you want to pick up a signed copy as a gift, please do. You can get your copy at dailystoic.com slash courage is calling, or you can just go to store.dailystoic.com. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Daily Stoic early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies-style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. Hi, I'm Misha Brown, and I'm the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each episode, comedians join me to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently on The Big Flop, we looked at the reality TV show The Swan. The problem, this dream opportunity quickly became a viewing nightmare. They were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts.